let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president here and professor of Old Testament at RTS Washington, and I'm joined by Dr. Grace Sutanto, professor of systematic theology, Dr. Peter Lee, professor of Old Testament and dean of students, Professor Tommy Keene, is a professor of New Testament and our academic dean and Professor Paul Jean, senior pastor at New City Presbyterian Church and professor of New Testament here. We also have a special guest today, Dr. Lloyd Kim, who's the coordinator of Mission to the World for the Presbyterian Church in America. But I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Lee to introduce Dr. Kim. Yeah, great. All righty. Thank you, uh, Dr. Red. Uh, I am truly excited to be able to introduce our, our guest here for our podcast. Uh, this is the Reverend Dr. Lloyd Kim. Uh, Lloyd is an old friend uh, of mine from uh, our Southern California days. Uh, it's definitely great to be able to, to have him with us to dialogue and to share thoughts with him today. Uh, Lloyd is a uh, ordained minister in the PCA. Uh, he did his MDiv at uh, Westminster Seminary in California. That's actually where we met and, and became friends. Uh, after after Westminster, he went on to do uh, a PhD at Fuller Seminary in New Testament. Uh, during that time, he also was a very active pastor uh, in the Southern California area, where he shepherded, preached, uh, and, and was very active in his uh, pastoral duties. Uh, around uh, mid-2004, 2005, I think, right around then is when the Lord led uh, Lloyd and his family to serve then as missionaries in different places in Southeast Asia. I think if I remember right, it started off in, in the Philippines. And then uh, after serving there for a while, he moved on into different areas around that area, uh, Cambodia, I believe as well. During his time in missions there in Southeast Asia, very active in terms of church planting, starting church planting networks. Uh, Lloyd also is a very gifted teacher taught in various different theological institutions, training local pastors in, in the area, ultimately even became a coordinator for missions there in Southeast Asia. As you see, the, uh, the Lord has really put a burden of missions on, uh, on Lloyd's heart. So uh, not too long ago, about uh, 2015, I believe, 14, 15, right around there, the Lord opened up an opportunity for Lloyd then to become the new coordinator of the mission to the world MTW, which is, of course, the world missions ministry of the PCA. And that's where he's been serving now for the last five to six years. If that's not enough, his wife, Ida, is a medical uh, doctor who I know has been very active in terms of medical missions as well, uh, right along with, uh, with Lloyd. And so this is a family and a, a man that is very dedicated to the uh, spreading of the gospel. And we're so excited to have Lloyd here with us for this episode. And in fact, even, uh, and hopefully we can mention this again later, Dr. Kim, Lloyd Kim will be teaching our missions class in June here at, uh, at our seminary. And so we'll, uh, we'll have many opportunities to interact with Lloyd. Uh, Lloyd, my brother, it's so good to have you. I'm so excited to be able to have you with us and to, and to share uh, you and your work with our community here. I think, I guess if there's a place to start since, you know, missions has been such a huge part of your life and you've dedicated so much of, of your uh, ministry to missions, perhaps we could just start with uh, sharing us. Where did that start and, 
How long has this been a passion of yours uh, in terms of just sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth? Thank you, Peter. Um, I would say this, the story begins really with a fairly dramatic conversion experience I had in college. And um, I grew up in the church and had gone to church all my life, but never had a genuine personal relationship with God. Uh, but it was at those university years where God met me and deep conviction of sin, repentance, faith, heard the gospel almost for the first time, at least my ears were open, my eyes. And it was in that process where the questions began to change in terms of my life trajectory. Whereas before I was asking questions like, well, what would make, what would I like to do with my life to make my life comfortable uh, to achieve my goals? Um, and the question turned after this conversion experience to God, what would you have of me? Here am I. And, uh, and so it, was, it wasn't a voice from heaven or anything like that, but more of a, a very sober process of reflecting on how God had made me and experiences he, he's given me and good counsel from the church. And so reflecting a little bit on my Asian American, Korean American background, always living in two cultures, the deep passion for um, sharing this newfound faith, it started this internal desire, this internal question of whether God would call me to serve overseas. And another factor in that was just thinking about all the opportunities for education that living in the United States uh, afforded, particular theological education, and thinking there are so many places where there's such a dearth of good, solid um, pastoral training, uh, and yet I have access to all of that. So um, the desire to study and, and learn as much as I can with the purpose of being able to share that with others in places where, where access is much uh, harder to come by. So those are the factors that came in. Again, a lot of people walked alongside of me, um, church leadership uh, mentors who really confirmed uh, this calling and passion and ultimately serving with mission to the world. The process was very, very helpful in confirming this passion. So that's a long answer to a short question, but uh, every step and stage of the process was sort of geared, moving towards that, um, even meeting my wife, my current wife, uh, my only wife, <laughs> Ida, who also had a, a missions heart. Our whole life was planning, preparing for missions, even uh, when we had our children, by God's grace, and then this planning and um, ministry calls, everything was geared towards that. So that's kind of in a nutshell. Lloyd, as you were talking about doing the New Testament PhD, where did that kind of figure in, in terms of your discerning a call to missions? Did that influence it? Did you go into PhD studies in order to use that in the mission field? Or was it while you were in PhD studies that you kind of felt a discernment in that direction? Um, how did that figure in? I'm interested just as someone who, who's had kind of a similar similar interests develop of teaching overseas while also pursuing a PhD in Old Testament. Yeah, I'm interested in kind of the timeline there and how those two relate to each other. The desire to do further studies uh, was for the mission field. And I was thinking, uh, you know, mission studying missions is always an option, but studying missions is preparing uh, missionaries. But, you know, the people who I was most interested in would be the pastors, the people who would preach every Sunday and uh, minister to a flock of people. And so I thought, well, what would be the, the um, most helpful for those who are gonna be preaching uh, every Sunday? And I, and I 
well, it's, it's the word of God. And so I, I picked Hebrews in particular because obviously there's a, a huge tie to the Old Testament. And I knew that if I get into Hebrews, then it's not only going to force me into really understanding the New Testament context, but also back in the old. So, and it was, it was an interest. I mean, I'll confess um, more than uh, other disciplines, biblical studies was, was really what I enjoyed and, and, and really wanted to um, pursue. So that a combination of all those things, but yeah, absolutely for the mission field. Lloyd, did you feel like learning a second language would be helpful as well? I mean, during that time, if you wanted to teach, let's say, pastors in South America, did you think about learning um, different languages? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, true confession, I'm, I'm a horrible language learner. You know, I'm, I'm ethnically Korean American, but I don't speak Korean very well. So it, it really had to be like a, a work of God's grace to enable me to learn a language, but be in preparation for it, we didn't know where we would be. So trying to be efficient with our time, we didn't give ourselves a lot of time learning a language. Um, we were just very open. And so we came to Mission World and said, you know, where can we serve? We want to be in Asia. We want to be in a city, but that's our plan, but no. So um, yeah, the language learning happened once we were on the field and that was a lot easier, quite honestly. Uh, when you're immersed in the language and culture and you need it for survival. That's our experience at least. Well, Lloyd, to follow up on that uh, very quickly, um, do you think that like language acquisition is as necessary because, I mean, you would know this better than all of us, but the trend seems to be that many indigenous people are actually coming to the States to get theological education. And so do you think that learning a language is as necessary and as important as it was maybe previously? Um, I, I do think it is uh, necessary and important, but it, it probably depends on your particular calling in the ministry that you serve in. But if you're obviously you're serving an international uh, community overseas, then it's, it's not as, as crucial. But if you really want to engage unreached, un, unengaged people uh, where there really is no Christian population, then that interaction in the heart language is, is essential because you're dealing with people who have no context. And language isn't just uh, a communication vehicle, it's culture. So if you don't understand the language, you don't really understand the culture. You don't understand how people think and theological concepts that can be translated one word to one word may not actually communicate what you want it to communicate because you don't understand the context and culture. So yeah, frontline missions ministry um, and I think it is helpful even for those who are coming alongside the trained pastors it is helpful uh, for all those reasons. There have been a lot of changes that have taken place over the kind of the course of our lives, I think, and just how missions are being done. And you've, we've even kind of touched on one already, the, the sort of, the, the, we've seen a little bit of a transition from kind of reaching the unreached to training up the next generation and there's been some discussion about that. Like, do we need to be educating more now? Or how do, how do we how do we kind of, you know, develop a missionary mindset? Um, and of course, one of the other big changes has been in information technology and just the internet and the accessibility that people have around the world, both through the internet and through social media. And, and it raises the question. So this is kind of, kind of pulling back out a little bit to sort of the big picture you know, how do you see at this time where you have a lot of change happening? And of course, 
keeping in mind the teaching of Kohelet, that there's nothing new under the sun as well. But there's a lot of change kind of happening in how we do things. What do you see as, this, as the role of missions uh, in, the, in the generations ahead? Kind of what directions do you see missions going right now? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to that question, and, and um, a lot is changing. Let me just touch briefly on the idea of you know, social media and information technology and how things are rapidly developing in terms of communication. I think that you know, maybe, maybe the sub-question under that is, is there a need for missions? You know, because we're able to connect uh, across the globe so quickly and so readily. And um, I guess I would broaden that question out to say, is there a need for in-person worship? You know, is there a need for um, being face-to-face with, with your students? Uh, can't we do everything online? And, and I think there, there definitely are benefits and I think things have progressed. But when I came back to in-person worship, there were tears in my eyes. There's something so very palpably different being in community, face-to-face, worshiping. Uh, and I would say the same is with missions. I mean, you can do a lot. And I, and I don't want to underestimate what you can do through technology, through Zoom, through relationships. But there is no substitute for, for living, eating, uh, laughing. And, and this is the core of what mission, our, our missions commission is, right? Making disciples among the nations. And so for me, I think that I'm delighted with the advance and the changes. And I think COVID has helped accelerate the opportunities to use that. But I, I still don't think that there's a substitute for actually coming uh, as our Lord has come to this earth in the flesh uh, to do that in the same way with the communities that we're, we're seeking to, to love and to minister and, and to see disciples being made. So, uh, but how does this affect missions in general? I do think it has allowed for more creativity and allowed for things like virtual mission conferences for those who may not be able to fly overseas for two weeks or for a week to do a short-term mission. I do think it enables a lot of more here and there. There was an allusion made to people coming, a lot of people coming here to study and some staying and settling and, and those communities still have connections back in their home countries and so can we leverage technology to, to build um, connections so that if missionaries are sent, they're sent into a family that has ties. And uh, a lot of these opportunities are opening up more and more um, because of the changes. So another couple quick things. Number one, these are kind of meta changes, I think, that have happened and are being accelerated. But you know, missions is no longer from the West to the rest. Uh, it's from everywhere to everywhere. And so technology is, is allowing more and more collaborative work uh, to happen between sending nations and receiving nations and, and opening up opportunities even for a North American mission like MTW to think globally, to say, how do we partner with our brothers and sisters in Brazil, in South Korea, uh, in New Zealand, Australia, uh, and other places to, to reach the unreached. And, and I will say, you know, there is maybe a, a a trend towards educating for those in the West in terms of their role in missions, but there are still 3.14 billion unreached people groups, uh, unreached people in the world. And so uh, we need to collaborate uh, more and more than ever uh, in leveraging all of our unique gifts and talents and passports and, and experiences 
in coming to some of the hardest, most difficult uh, areas for the gospel. So, I'm familiar at least with one story of uh, of Indonesia sending a, a, a missionary to the United States to teach at RTS Washington, and uh, yeah, so it's definitely I, I like that. I like the fact that the, there's a change from the West to the rest, you know, to this more this this picture more of of collaboration and and partnership. I was looking forward to getting to know this other Indonesian person, but then suddenly I realized something. No, but uh, Lloyd, that was really, really interesting. You know, as you're talking about collaboration and the need for teamwork to reach these unreached people groups, how have you navigated, you know, theological differences? Because oftentimes, you know, at least in my own mind, a lot of people might say, hey, denominational differences seem to get in the way of collaboration. How have you tried to navigate being in MTW, being a reform representative, yet at the same time seeing that real need for collaboration that you mentioned there? As we think about partnerships, we think about concentric circles and the, the closest, the most, um, it has to make sense, right? So if we're planting a church or we're starting a seminary, there needs to be a lot more theological alignment. But if we're doing something like a, a medical clinic, where all the partners come in to help them with their church planting work, then there can be a little bit more uh, a, a widening of, of those types of things. For example, in the Philippines, we served at a, a free clinic uh, and we did it with the Southern Baptists and OMF and uh, team and all these other missions, but everyone wanted a church plant, but we all our doctors and, and nurses work together at the clinic to do outreaches at our respective places. And, you know, there was a definitely a collaborative uh, desire to see the kingdom advance. And, and we're all about that, but we're not embarrassed by our theology. We're not embarrassed by our identity. It's who we are. It's, it's um, so the, maybe a third circle would be just those who come and say, please teach us, please uh, help us help train our deacons, our elders. And so Karen Baptist in Thailand came to our team in, in Bangkok and said just that. And they said, you know, we're Presbyterian and we're not going to change what we teach. They said, we love what you're teaching. Please come because it's based on the Bible. And so thousands of, of Karen Baptists were being trained by, by um, MPW missionaries. Um, so that's another level of how we can engage. And, and we trust that God is building his kingdom and, and we have, you know, we're one expression of his body of Christ and we delight that we can serve in the way that we do and contribute the way that we do. So we don't feel like we have to own the whole world, but we need, we need to play our part as reformed and covenantal folk. Hey Lloyd, uh, you know, uh, I've been following uh, a lot of what the Lord's been doing in your life since way back in the whole new life mission church days when you were pastoring there and followed the, the, uh, your work in, uh, in Southeast Asia, I, I was wondering if you could share a little bit of, of that transition from the work in Southeast Asia to doing what you're doing now, and when that opportunity came, and what were some of the factors in, in your family's decision to take on this huge new role that you have now? Well, relatively new. I know you've been doing it now for, for several years in terms of now coordinating world missions for the, for the entire PCA. Yeah, that, that's the story. So um, when Dr. Koistra, my predecessor, retired, they asked the missionaries who, you know, to, to nominate folks to be the coordinator. And uh, one of my friends said, hey, I'm going to put your name in the hat. I thought he was joking. I said, ha, 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 do you want me to, is that your roundabout way to get me to put your name in? And anyway, I forgot about it. And 
keep in mind, we, we had no intention of coming back to the United States. I was just asked to be the uh, international director for Asia. Um, so I was, it was the furth furthest thing from my mind. But then the search committee chair called me and said, hey, wanted to see if you'd be willing to stand as a candidate. And I was just going to say, thank you. I'm so humble. You know, you're supposed to, I'm so humbled by you. you know, I was just going to say no. And uh, he said, before you answer, why don't you take a week and pray about it? Like, what am I going to say? I'm not going to pray. Of course. I said, okay, I'll pray about it. Because if, if you're interested, we'll send you the search packet. Tells you all the things we're looking for. I said, okay. So I turned to my wife. I said, you won't believe this, but they're, they're actually asking to see if I'd consider standing as to be the coordinator. She laughed. And uh, we had a, a week that we were praying and we prayed. And I was at the same places. And we were both at the same place. Um, so we had tried to call back the chair and he never answered the phone. In the meantime, someone sent us the search packet. And when we read it, we were just, you know, it's not like it was new, but it was, it was so compelling what they were seeking to do. We want younger leadership. We want more diversity. We want to see more globalization and all these things that really we wanted to encourage MTW to move in this, in this direction. And so Eden and I talked about it and we said, well, if, if this is what we really want to see and, and we should, we should be willing to do whatever part we can. So I finally get in touch with the chair and I said, you know, what happened? Why didn't you answer the phone? He goes, oh, there was a church emergency and I'm so sorry I couldn't make it. I said, but who, why did you send me the search packing? He goes, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't send it to you. I said, no, how or who, what happened? Uh, and he said, so what's your answer? I said, it would have been very different if I had contacted you a few days earlier. And so I told him the story and I said, we'd be willing to stay. And then I forgot about it. I said, okay, Jesus did my duty. I put my name out there. I'm probably number 59 of 60, maybe 60, you know, I'm too generous of, of the list of candidates. And I just went on my, my, my uh, daily life. Several months later, you know, there were a couple different interviews along the way, but I'm up in the mountains with my friends and I get a call and it's a chair and he says, we believe God is calling you to be the next coordinator. And I was, my heart hit the floor. And I told my kids, I told my wife and they started crying. They started weeping. Uh, why? Because they didn't want to leave. And we came up with all the reasons why we should say no. Kids just started school. You know, we've done so much to learn the language. We've invested so much in the culture. We have all these relationships. And, uh, and then I told my friends and I was with my Korean American uh, brothers, pastors in the PCA elders, and they stood up and they started cheering. They started clapping. They said, this is so good for the PCA. Even if we didn't know you, Lord, we would be so excited. And then we realized, oh my gosh, this isn't just about us. You know, there, there could be something more than just our life and our schedule and our plans. And so then slowly, slowly, God worked in all of our hearts um, to say yes. And that's where So long answer, short question, but that's how it happened. That's terrific. Um, boy, I, I remember when I heard the, the news that you were taking over uh, and, and coordinating MTW. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I wasn't that surprised. I was excited uh, to know uh, a friend and, and someone uh, I knew was going to be in such an uh, influential uh, position. Uh, but given your background, I just thought, you know, this, this makes sense. Uh, he's obviously qualified, uh, gifted, and uh, so I don't, I don't know. I thought it was a I thought it was a great move, and was glad to hear that you received it. 
Uh, by the way, I think it's clear uh, uh, God is the one who sent that package. <laughs> right? It's yes. sort of like, you know, in the Old Testament where it says the Lord shut the doors of the ark, whatever that might mean. God sent this package. <laughs> That's a, that is an incredible story. The, let me ask you this. So now you, you took this on somewhat kind of like not, you know, not, not really pursuing it, but having it be presented to you. What, what were some of the, what were kind of some of the obstacles? I mean, obviously for you guys personally, one of them, I guess, was moving, was having to come back to the States. But I, I also suspect there's some sort of larger sort of global obstacles that you see MTW facing or maybe even missions in general facing. What, what are some of the big obstacles that you see to modern missions in light of some of these changes that we've talked about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the challenge that was kind of presented uh, to me as I came in would be summarized really with, with three specific things and things that are happening in missions in general, things that are happening in the United States and things that are happening all over the world. And what was happening in missions in general, particularly in the West was there was a large portion of our missionaries who were retiring, those who've served 30, 40, some 50 years. At the same time, there weren't as many people being mobilized uh, to fill their spaces, let alone grow. And so um, there was a huge challenge to say, how do we mobilize this generation to reach this generation? And huge challenges with that, you know, the, the association of colonialism, imperialism with missions, uh, a move towards uh, local missions, which is great, wonderful. I mean, the critique was, well, the church does so much overseas, but they don't think in their own backyard, valid critique, but so, yeah, how do we challenge, how do we present uh, Jesus's great commission to this generation in ways that are understood, that are clarifying, that are owning up to missions, you know, mistakes in the past, uh, but also uh, really presenting opportunities to engage in, in, in something very beautiful. Second is what's happening in our, in our country. And, you know, a lot's happened in our country, but I, I, I would say just the obvious changing of demographics. Uh, we're becoming more ethnically diverse and our denomination is starting to reflect that. And so the question we had to ask was, how are we serving the whole denomination? How are we serving our brothers and sisters who come from um, Asian uh, backgrounds, Hispanic backgrounds, African-American backgrounds? And so um, that's a huge for us to say, um, are we listening? Are, what are those barriers? What are those uh, practices and procedures that we have that inadvertently send a message to say, you're not welcome. This is not your place. We don't understand your context and we don't, we don't care to understand it. So those are some things that we've been working on. Finally, like what's God doing? And I alluded to this before uh, across the world, the center of Christianity in the West anymore. And so how do we adjust and adapt to that? Uh, how do we grow in our global partnerships and um, uh, collaborate more for global missions. So those are some of the, the things that were presented to me. And, and those are the things that we've been working on. That's fascinating. And, and you mentioned in there, this kind of replacing of the previous generation. And you were talking earlier about the importance of this kind of not only face-to-face -face and in-person worship, but in-person missions work. As you're recruiting people to come in and replace that previous generation with you know, missionaries to go out and actually be sent, as you said, like, like you, you know, saying, here I am, Lord, send me, Lord. 
what are you all looking for? What, what do you need? How, and I guess in the selfish part of this question is, how do we as seminary professors prepare people who are going to go out into the mission field and either do missions or be missionary-minded pastors who are sending people to be involved in missions? No, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, just our experience, our limited experience on the mission field, I was, I was so grateful, again, for the educational opportunities that are, are afforded us here in the United States, uh, sp- specifically theological um, education. And I, and I think what was most helpful was the ability to really think theologically, because the issues are so different. It's, it's not enough simply to memorize all the questions that folks in the West are asking, the questions are different. And so without that theological, biblical theological foundation, which enables you to answer theological questions and apply um, them to different contexts, you know, in other words, uh, preparing your students with the tools they need to be able to engage in very complex and very challenging situations like theologically, but pastorally. And um, yeah, so, um, so that's, that's the opportunities to be engaged with some of the most, ex- you know, exciting things that are happening across the world. I mean, we get to be a part of starting new denominations. And you think, what does this denomination be like in 100 years? And, you know, you, you kind of track back and you realize, oh, my gosh, it had to start somewhere. And, and each, you, know, you think about it, like how a denomination starts kind of defines its trajectory and like you, you emphasize one thing a little bit too much and then it it kind of 100 years down the road it looks very very different and so you know giving your students a vision or an opportunity that so you can be a part of something really beautiful and and um, impactful is one but I would say doing what you are doing in, in terms of being more globally connected uh, the more that you bring folks, uh, or even partner with with other institutions overseas, but but bringing folks with those perspectives into your uh, classrooms uh, brings those questions to bear and enables a whole body of Christ to engage with with questions and complexities and, and challenges that we need the whole body of Christ to help speak into and answer. So, just a couple of thoughts. There's um, it's interesting you say that about you know, training people and bringing in people to have a kind of more international scope, you know, here in, here in a city like DC, you have a lot of people who are here from different communities and around the world, first generation immigrants. And there, there is that kind of international perspective, even in the classroom, just in terms of the students who are coming and taking classes with us. And it, it kind of raises that other question that you've heard about, or we've heard about over the last, a good bit over the last 20 years or so, this idea of doing local mission. How does MTW think about missions in a world where, this sounds kind of like a trailer to a movie, right? In a world, <laughs> where, but in a world where you have these large international communities in these large international cities, even in the United States, right? Like how, how, is, how do you think about, people talk about missions and in, in being missional or that kind of thing. Um, how have you all addressed that question or how are you thinking about that at MTW? Yeah. No, that's, that is a, gr- uh, a great uh, question and a very real change. So first of all, we are s- so grateful and delighted that we have a mission to North America, an MA, who has over the past 
uh, several decades really invested in answering that question. How do we, how do we reach the cities? How do we reach a more multicultural, multi-ethnic United States? And so we're partnering more and more with MA to say, uh, can we collaborate? I mean, it's kind of sad that we have to even ask uh, as interdenominational agencies, how do we collaborate more in doing um, here and there ministries? And that is, you know, as we spoke about a little bit before, the church plants that are happening in the inner cities that are multi, how do we connect them, uh, those who participate, those who may still have connections in their home country with our missionaries who are overseas. And so we delight the in the fact that MA is thriving and growing in this way because a strong MA is essential to a strong MPW. And so we, we come together as partnerships and say, if there's anything that we can bring uh, to help our MA brothers uh, and, and, and those who are engaged in the work from our experience, and then, then we can do that together. So that's sort of how we're thinking about the here and there. Local. And we love the fact uh, of local, we're working with RUF, Reform University Fellowship, who has uh, Reform University Fellowship International, who, who have folks, campus ministers on campuses across the United States ministering to international students. And they're MPW saying, take some of our retiring missionaries, take our missionaries who are coming back and, they, and they'll serve alongside. And if those who want to test a, a foreign call, go to an RUFI and serve there. And then RUF also has a RUF Global, which we partner in, and we help those campus ministers who want to do what they do here overseas by providing all the support that they need and they become MPW RUF uh, missionaries. And so we are seeing much more collaboration entered in interagency-wise, this is just the PCA, uh, because of what you said, because of the internationalization, the diversity that's and the, the immigration um, that's happening in the United States. So those are just a couple of things that we're working on. There's one campus here right down the road from us that I just recently found out doesn't actually have a, a, a sort of traditional RUF minister, but has an RUFI minister. And it's mm -hmm. a large, huge ministry because this particular college draws a huge number of international students. I was fascinated to hear that, you know, that that actually is the thriving college ministry at this school down the road. It's pretty cool. I was really interested to hear, um, kind of picking up on something that you said earlier that was a bit of a twist from my expectations. The when you said that um, actually having that theological training is incredibly important um, for missions, because I think for many of us, you know, when we think about missions, we think about language skills and and cultural uh, cultural skills and being able to kind of integrate with people and things like that as being at the the forefront of the task, but then being able to think theologically on the fly doesn't come to my head as, as being a prime skill here, but, um, but you're saying, you're saying it is, and that makes, that makes total sense. I was wondering if you wanted to expand a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we make a lot of assumptions doing ministry in the West, just in terms of having a Judeo Christian worldview. And so a lot of the theology that we learn is very good. And it's very helpful, but it's, there's a lot of things that you just take for granted. But when you're in context where that Judeo-Christian worldview is, is not the presupposition of the, the majority of the folks, you have to think about every word that you say. You have to think about every definition of what is sin. And, you know, even as you talk about 
God or creation. So um, without, without even that reflection, that theological reflection, you may be doing ministry for years and thinking that it's on board until, until something happens and you realize, oh my gosh, I've, I have completely missed this. And we're, we're just talking at two complete, and it shows up. It shows up really, I think, in the ethics. When, when things happen, you realize, wait, you said you're A, B, C, D, and E, but this is, this is how you're living or this is how you're, you're uh, processing this thing. And you realize, okay, it's off. And without the, the tools and the training to reflect and to say, okay, I see what's going on. You know, there's a, uh, a completely different worldview that has just encapsulated Christianity. And uh, anyway, I, for me, those are, the, those are the things. It may not be like you have to think on the fly, but without that foundation, I think it leads to a lot of, uh, a lot of aberrant, it leads to a very unhealthy church, let me put it that way. So, and you start to be really self-critical of your own perspective as well, right? Because as you're traveling, as you're encountering these people from very different backgrounds, you're starting to realize that so many things that you thought was just common sense or maybe even natural law is actually just your own little cultural, you know, idiosyncrasy, right? And so that's so good because now you're actually seeing that to send missionaries out, you have to be not only aware of all the implications for theology, but also your own background and how to communicate the same theology that is supposed to be universal, but it's at the same time, you know, to, to this very different background. And I found that in my own experience, that's exactly right. And I, sometimes I joke that I wish every Presbyterian minister in the States could just spend a couple of years traveling because it would really be helpful for ministry. And I think I just felt vindicated when you said that. Wonderful. Great. Absolutely. Uh, I, I totally get how the effect that it has on you as you, you know, something as simple as worship and, you know, I was in a refugee camp in Uganda, South Sudanese Presbyterians, and they were very Presbyterian. But as I stepped into their worship, it was like so different. They were, they were singing biblical texts, standing up, marching. I mean, it was, it was such a visceral experience. And it's worship. You know, it's, it's the same thing that we call on Sundays when we're in our, our clothes behind. I mean, it's, and you realize, oh, my gosh, how big is our God? And uh, how, how wonderful is he? And um, anyway, I agree with you 100%, Gray, that uh, it is such a huge benefit for our folks to be able to go and see how big our God is overseas. Amen. Amen. And it makes you, I think it makes you a better, a better teacher of God's word and a better exegete of God's word because you've experienced the, the vastness of its application around the world. And I sometimes warn our students, it's, it's, it's great for your spiritual growth to go be exposed to the international church. And it can be really hard on your relationships back here in the United States because you come back with a much sure. bigger picture of the application and you start finding yourself saying things like, well, is that common sense? You know, is that the common right. sense approach? But that's good too. That's, that's, that's exactly what we need. Thank you so much, Dr. Kim, for your ministry and your commitment to missions um, and your leadership at NTW. And thanks for spending this time talking to us today. Appreciate it. Appreciate all that you guys do. Well, if you're interested in learning more about missions, we would point you to the class that's beginning June 2nd uh, over here at RTS Washington that will be taught by Dr. Kim um, and pay attention to him and what he's doing, what MTW is doing online, 
and keep an eye on this space too, because we'll be talking more about um, work that we're doing to help train not only pastors, but pastors who are missionary minded and missionaries. We've sent out a decent number of missionaries from the DC area and from RTS Washington. So it's been wonderful having this conversation. I look forward to just exploring this uh, in in the months and years ahead with you brothers. And for everyone else who's listening, uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next week. Take care. going on in zoom tonight and then there's actually a class and i didn't know <laughs> yeah, zoom has added a whole new element to fears about class prep and dreams yeah. about class prep hasn't it yeah and you know you do get students sometimes just checking the zoom link and then sometimes you get the name like oh this person is logged on i always get a little yeah. panic heart attack yeah. yeah what what did i forget yep that's right